I'm David Demchuk, the author of the experimental queer horror novel Red X. Many readers think queer horror is just for queer people. I'm here to tell you it's not. We have the same dreams, we have the same fears. Red X tells the story of gay men who are being taken from their friends and family by an ageless supernatural being. But it's also my story, and the story of friends that I have lost over the decades. Join me in Red X as we explore my darkest fears together. Red X is published by Strangelight, an imprint of Penguin Random House, and is available at fine bookstores everywhere. An agency that sends social workers into the homes of grieving families to impersonate dead loved ones. The kind old woman who saved a teenager's life, but who now finds herself haunted by the weight of a cheated suicide and the daughter of a candlestick maker as she tries to survive a painful existence after her father's execution for making human chandeliers of drunken cowboys. These stories and more, ranging from supernatural to the frighteningly domestic, splatterpunk to the weird and cosmic, stain the pages of Cut to Care, a collection of little hurts by Aaron Dryers. These are stories about caring too much in a world that doesn't always care for you back. Also featuring an exclusive introduction by writer-director Mick Garris, creator of Masters of Horror. Cut to Care by Aaron Dries. A collection of little hurts. Out now. Looking for your next horror writing podcast fix? The This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators is the ultimate show for writing advice, tips, and a personal look into the lives of all your favorite authors. This is Horror Podcast. Listen in to long-form conversations with some of the best writers and creatives on the planet. Over 400 episodes with masters of horror such as Joe R. Lansdale, Chuck Palahniuk, Josh Mallerman, Joe Hill, Charlene Harris, Craig Clevenger, Ellen Datlow, Kathy Koja, and many more. The This Is Horror Podcast. Listen in at www.thisishorror.com. That's the This Is Horror podcast for readers, writers, and creators. Horror on Main, a new weekend convention for the horror community. There are plenty of horror cons to choose from, but most only offer the genre as writers and actors. We explore all the shadows within horror entertainment. From idea to product, there are many people behind the scenes, including writers and actors, but also artists, publishers, directors, and composers, and we're bringing them to you, as well as contests, movies, panels, podcasters, and much, much more. We've been going to conventions for over 20 years and are changing up the little things to make the big picture amazing. Join us Memorial Day weekend 2023 in Hunt Valley, Maryland. Come to the block party and meet your new neighbors. See horroronmain.com for details. Oh God, it's recording. Just cut everything I say yeah. to be safe, to be safe. A 30 second episode. Why don't you go ahead and just call me Anthony? Um, I go by Tony, but just for the sake of clarity in the in the recording, that's fine. And then uh, for you, Tony, it'll be Tony, right? 
Yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> Call Tony, Tony. Got it. Call Tony, Tony. All right, that works. We, we almost squashed the entire collaboration based on our first names being the same. We're like, you know, we can't do this. It's right. just it's not yeah. going to work. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Dead Headspace. I'm your host, Patrick R. McDonough, joined always by my co-host, Brennan LaFaro. Say hi, Brennan. Hello, everybody. And today we are titling this episode, Tommy and the Order of the Cosmic Champions, because we have the two creators for that book and, well, that universe. Um, those two are Anthony DeGreat. We're going to call him Tony tonight. Say hi, Tony. Hello. And Anthony Rapino, we are just going to refer to him as Anthony. Say hi, Anthony. Hey, everybody. To avoid confusion, two Anthony, so Tony and Anthony. It's great to have you guys on. And this, I mean, what a book, what a, what a everything you guys have done we're going to cover tonight. But my God, Brennan, I want you to open with the first question because you were the one that came up with it, and it's a good one. Oh, good. All right. So, <laughs> no, oh, I want to. Yeah, exactly. No pressure here. Uh, I want to start right at the beginning. I want to, uh, uh, <clears throat> Tony, I'm going to throw it to you. Uh, I want to know where the idea for this entire thing originated. So, give us a little bit of the lowdown. Okay. Um, well, uh, the idea was uh, kind of born out of some of my childhood experiences uh, growing up. Um, you know, we, my sister and I went through, um, a, you know, our parents divorcing and all that that entailed. And, you know, the lead up to it, it was kind of um, becoming to us that, you know, dad wasn't much and you know, things were happening and it, um, and, it, and once he was finally gone, you know, it, uh, it was a, a struggle. And at that time, you know, I was heavily into a few different um, toy lines and cartoons. And so those kind of became an escape um, for me, you know, that and, and several other things. But um, for the purposes of the story, um, there was one event in particular that um, I remember you know pretty vividly and that was when the Mattel had held a, a creative character contest and it was nationwide so you know kids from all across um, America could submit uh, designs and have that turned into an action figure um, and then they would receive a college scholarship and, um, and then you would they would be president for a day. Um, I think it's more more of a uh, just kind of a uh, uh, a way of you know an honor, basically. Not really. He didn't have much say in anything. But uh, and I thought you know, well, that sounds great to me because I was big into art. I loved drawing. I loved you know creating. So um, I entered and you know didn't win and was uh, disappointed and. Uh, you know the the actual 
winning designs. I, I didn't understand why they were chosen. It kind of, as a kid, I was just blown away by how these designs could have won, you know, why didn't they choose mine? So it went down as like a kind of a big disappointment to me. And I don't know why it's one of those, those things that just stuck out uh, through the years, but it, it did. And then much later, uh, probably around the early 2000s, 2002, 2003, um, I don't know if you know um, Matt from Dinosaur Dracula or have ever visited his website or anything. Um, he used to have a website called X Entertainment, and I used to frequent it quite a bit. And he had posted something on there, basically just asking the question, you know, whatever happened to Fearless Photog, which was his creation, the creation of the winner, Nathan Bittner. Um, you know, he wondered what had happened, you know, with this character. It never, it never was turned into a toy like uh, promised. He did get his scholarship. Um, and he did get the, the honor of being president for a day, but uh, the figure never became a toy, and the line kind of died, you know, shortly thereafter. And instead of you know being about you know the figure, it kind of became more about Nathan, uh, you know, the winner Nathan Bittner. What happened to him? You know, the, all of the members of his side were just digging around, trying to find any information they could. It was, you know, fairly early still on the internet. So the idea that you could dig up somebody's personal history so easily was still kind of a, a novelty, you know, um, it was still fairly new. Um, but they did, you know, dig up a lot of things and, you know, probably some of them weren't true or embellished. But uh, just the, you kind of developed this um, view of him as, of this um uh, he struggled through life you know after his win you know like all of us do you know life comes and brings with it challenges and, and he had his own sets of challenges and so i kind of after finding that out i i kind of grew to appreciate you know his win you know his character and i thought wouldn't it be neat, you know, to be able to go back in time and, you know, uh, visit him and, you know, you know, remind him to enjoy it, you know, while he can, because, you know, difficulties are coming. Um, I, and it just kind of stuck with me, that whole idea of traveling to visit him or getting in contact with him. And you know. so um, when um, I brought a couple of ideas to Anthony about, you know, maybe we could work together on a novel. I have a couple of stories and, you know, here's one of them. And he, he um, was pretty excited about this particular um, idea. And, and so he uh, took that little seed that I gave him and turned it into a tree. You know, he, he blossomed it uh, from there. Very cool. Very cool. I love the idea of it had to be set, you know, in that kind of 1980s, the Saturday morning cartoons, uh, that whole universe. It just I mean, obviously, you pulled from your own childhood to kind of create that universe. And there's a, a certain quality to the cartoons back then that, you know, the cosmic champions certainly takes off after. And, you know, one of those is Masters of the Universe. And you you reference it uh and you even go like full multiverse there uh which is such a such a cool little uh 
Easter egg, if you will. What were some of the other cartoons that kind of influenced the creation of some of the characters? Well, um, probably Thundercats would be another uh, mask. Um, those three uh, cartoons were pretty influential to me. Yeah, they were big um, influences in my art and, um, and there were others that were less um, similar, you know, Transformers, Get Bots, um, uh, and, and those types of shows. But uh, yeah, definitely Thundercats, definitely Mask um, were influences there in, you know, creating characters and the mythos of, you know, the, the Order of Cosmic Champion. And uh, yeah, definitely those, those three. So Anthony, I want to throw it to you now. So you you get a couple of pitches thrown at you to potentially work on a novel, um, and this is the one you guys kind of settle on. So what was it that appealed to you? I mean, honestly, everything about it just sang out to me. Uh, if I remember cor- correctly, the first pitch was more sci-fi, right? Uh, uh, yeah. Yeah, the first one was more sci-fi, and it was also a lot more fleshed out. Like, it felt like... Uh, you know, a lot had been written, a lot had been put together. And I figured if I was going to do something like this, I really wanted to sort of be able to uh, just write because it's kind of like uh, how I, how I work anyway. Um, And this one, yeah, when, when, when uh, Tony told me about it, I was like, oh, come on now. Right. We have kind of like that, that little bit of uh, eighties charm going on there. And I immediately saw potential for, obviously, this isn't a horror novel, but I immediately saw a little potential for some creepy factor here and there, throwing in the Halloween season and all that, um, trying to find a little bit of um, a balance, I guess you could say, between what I normally would write and and this project. But yeah, I mean, I'm so into the 80s and 90s nostalgia stuff that the chance to get to write about things like, you know, just kind of throw stuff in there like Nintendo games and, and the movies that I love was uh, exciting to me. Everything so about this. Cool. So go ahead, Pat. I was just going to say everything about this. It, it just screams like someone turned this into a movie specifically for the fact that you have so much IP that you could sell, which is what you guys are doing. But I'm saying on a grander scale and the story is really really good too uh brennan go ahead man i was just gonna say you know once once you guys settle on that idea and you know the 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 gears are turning so what happens next you know it it sort of coalesced very quickly and a lot a lot more easily than i would have expected um i set up a discord server for the two of us um we kind of had the different forums for the different aspects of the novel. And I, as I remember it and correct me, you know, if I get anything wrong, uh, Tony, cause my memory sometimes is a little shoddy, but as I remember it, we had a couple of very brief discussions about kind of the background, what we wanted to, to happen in the novel. Um, I asked a lot of questions like, what are you expecting out of this uh, for, for Tony? And, we just had a lot of the same ideas, which made it super easy. Um, there were a lot of parallels that ended up running throughout the entire project where we both just happened to be on the same page. Um, and I, once I had that sort of skeleton of an idea, if I remember our uh, discussion kind of landed on, we had the 
basic summary. We had an idea of the major turning points and we had a basic understanding of like where it would end as well without there being too much detail there. Um, I just started writing. Um, I would, I would stream my writing sessions live. So uh, whenever Tony felt like he needed to be bored by something, he could always pop on the writing stream and kind of, you know, take a nap or whatever. And uh, I would share chapters as I went. If I had any questions about it, I, uh, I would shoot them over to Tony, but largely I, I kind of focused on the writing during that portion. And um, that whole time, Tony was just hard at work on a million and one things that I couldn't even outline quickly for you, including art and cover design and marketing and soundtracks and just all this stuff that you can see uh, in the uh, in the outcome here. Yeah, uh, and I'm just I'm just imagining Tony checking in on your live stream just to make sure you're actually doing the work that you're not slacking off at all. So, uh, Tony, how about those million and one things you were doing while Anthony was doing the writing? Uh, give us, I mean, we can kind of, for, for, for audio listeners, um, you know, you're, you're going to have to go to the website and see all this. <laughs> Video listeners, you can kind of see in Patrick's background. No Patrick, but uh, <laughs> you could see all this stuff, um, you know, including, you know, the, the cover design is just absolutely phenomenal. Just perfectly sets the tone for what we've got here. Um, we've got, you know, comics, we've got a cassette tape sort of, um, <laughs> for, for those of us who actually have a cassette player, uh, unfortunately it will not work, but that's because it's just been brought into the 21st century. Um, so sorry, Tony, I asked a question then I just kept talking. Tell us about all those, all that stuff. So, uh, go, and first going back to, uh, what, um, Anthony was saying about, um, being on the same page, uh, there are several um, elements of the story that, as I was reading it, I know I did not say anything about, I know I did not mention to him, and yet I could see it perfectly in my head. It was almost like he was <laughs> reading my mind and putting it down on the page, because uh, especially the layout of you know, Tommy's house um, and uh, the interior particular, in particular, and uh, different things like that that I thought, I, I, I don't recall ever discussing this at all with him. So it was kind of like this spooky, you know, um, connection going on there. But uh, yeah, um, with regard to all the merchandise and everything, um, when I, I, I tend to go overboard uh, when I get invested in something, it could be pretty much anything, but I wanted this to be more than just, you know, a story that, Somebody um, picks up on occasion and you know, puts it down, and, and maybe they enjoy it, but um, but there's nothing else to it. I wanted there to be like some tactile, um, you know, uh, something that they could hold in their hand, you know, things that they could interact with, that kind of brought Tommy's world into our world, and so that's why I started digging into things that I had no experience with at all, you know, having action figures. Never, never once dealt with anything like that, and that was a whole, I mean, a whole process getting into you know every little detail of that, and uh, having um, media created like a, you know an animated intro, dealing with an animation company and writing scripts and you know storyboards and things like that. Um, all of that stuff was all new experiences for me, and it just kind of gave a way to um, be 
um, helping them, you know, in some fashion while still, you know, letting out that creativity um, uh, while he was, you know, creating, you know, the story. I could be over here creating something, you know, to go along with it. And um, that's what made it really enjoyable. Still is. Uh, I'm still doing different things, you know, and especially in relation to marketing and promotion, things like that. So, um, yeah. Became convinced that you were kind of on the other end, sort of plotting ways to blow my mind daily to just be (laughs) like, you know what I'm going to tell them today? (laughs) We're going to create action figures. Seriously, he would just message me. Oh, by the way, we're going to have an action figure. What? Because I had no idea. I honestly had not a single idea as to the scope of what uh, you were going to be working on, Tony, on the other end. Like like all of that stuff was a complete surprise to me as we were working. And it really was like just a daily blow your mind session. That's awesome. (laughs) How'd you guys initially meet each other? And by the way, viewers slash listeners... Tony Rapino was on the show first on episode 102, that's season two. And we did talk about this book, but um, it's been like a year. July 15th is when I published that episode. So, yeah, it's been a little while. Got to refresh my memory. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was trying to remember what what I said on that. Uh, I, podcast. You, I, I have no idea. <laughs> I, but, I don't know. We met initially, and I don't remember how I came across your website, Tony. It was probably just one of those things that either someone posted it or I, I saw an ad for it or whatever. But uh, Tony runs a website called RetroDays.org, um, and I found myself there somehow. And it's just an amazing site with a, a ton of great stuff to do. It, it gives you opportunity to write articles and win, like. Uh, earn points to redeem in, in a point store. And there's a forum there. And, um, you know, it's all about retro stuff and kind of spoke to me. So I spent quite a bit of time there um, early on. I think I, I may have won a writing contest there. I did. I won the, um, it was a video game writing contest and I won a really cool, I still have it over there. Um, Rob, is it Robbie the robot? It's the robot uh, that came with the Nintendo. Yeah. Um, oh. um and uh, it was a the NES. You're talking about the NES, that robot? Yes. I think Robbie. Yeah, yeah I'm pretty sure it's Robbie. Uh, and it was a lamp uh, made out of the robot. <laughs> so, you know, just really a lot of cool opportunities there. Uh, but yeah, that's how I believe how we, I don't know that we spoke at that point, but then at some point we ended up collaborating. I did a bunch of sculptures for the goodie boxes on your site. Um, mm-hmm. I did like the trick-or-treat lollipops, Sam's trick-or-treat lollipops. And um, Sam unmasked masked magnets and uh, Tony goodie boxes and the point store and stuff that he was doing there. So that was our first collaboration, actually, many years ago. That's, That's, really, <laughs> that's really cool. So, all right. I, I'm curious what. <laughs> nope. Before I jump there. Uh, I want to hear one of you guys describe the plot because I don't think we've actually talked about it yet. I, uh, Anthony's uh, better suited for that. Oh God, I knew you were going to throw me under the bus. <laughs> I'm I'm honestly the worst at this. Um, <laughs> it's truly it's truly one of my great horrors in life describing the stuff I write because people do. You guys know all the time. Someone say, "Well, what's this one about?" And I <laughs> am just I am crap at it. 
this is uh, real quick. This is episode, I think, 156, 157. Nobody's yeah. good at this. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. No one. Uh, so. It's about a, a young boy named uh, Tommy Great. And I have to, sorry to interrupt my own summary, but I, I still almost use your name, Tony, sometimes when I'm talking about the character, because we purposely, the names were a little similar yeah. uh, due to the origins of the plot. But, uh, and you even I, I, mentioned that at some point, uh, I think Miranda says something about, you look more like a Tony. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I had to throw in these little Easter yep. eggs like that. <laughs> um, but so uh, young Tommy is having a hard time at home. His parents are uh, struggling with a, a pending or possible divorce. He's being bullied uh, and, and life just isn't treating him very well. So he, he puts everything he has into the idea of winning this create a character contest for the order of cosmic champions. And, you know, it really builds up to the point where this is his whole life is hinging on, on him winning this in his mind, you know, it's that big to him and, you know, spoiler alert, he, he does not win. And around this time, he starts seeing the uh, characters from the order of cosmic champions and specifically the winning design which kind of taunts him a little bit. From that point, he decides that his only hope is to go find the winner of the contest and plead with him to ask the uh, company using his power as a, you know, president of the day, which was one of the winning prizes, to make Tommy's action figure and, and allow him at least a little bit of the glory. And I think that's it. Fierce Phantoms is that character that taunts him. And that guy, I was, uh, so I do a lot of Texas speech and I was just laughing out loud because he's funny. Like when he does, uh, when he tries telling Tommy which way to go, it's like an arrow or run or just little stuff like that. Um, it make, So when I was describing this wife to my book, I said, it makes me feel like a kid. Like it's kind of like Stranger Things in the sense of the setting, but it also makes you feel like a kid from when we all grew up um just all the elements of you can fight monsters you can anything you there's no real line between quote-unquote reality and uh you know kids dreams and it's everything as you said anthony is uh is grandiose because you have nothing to reference it to you know you have nothing to reference it to in comparison when you're an adult and you have like a mortgage and you're like, well, keeping this job is important or I'm fucked. Not if I don't win this contest, you know, I think it's the end of the world. So all that said, uh, it, it's just a, it, it's a truly a magical book. You guys, so did, you guys did a great job. That means Thank a lot. You. Thank you. Um, yeah. I'm glad you enjoyed the Phantos character. I had particular fun playing around with that. I don't think we really mentioned this part of it, but an interesting aspect of the writing as it was going is that, as you know, like the first few chapters, there aren't really a whole lot of uh, fantasy elements. It's a setup. You're setting it up. You're building it. Right. Exactly. And um, so through that time, anytime I had to mention any of the characters from the Order of Cosmic Champions, we didn't really have that set yet. And I was using these really like just poorly thought out names that I just came up with as like placeholders for the whole thing. And it was crazy though. Cause like, as I was writing, it was another one of those like daily blow your mind kind of things that 
Tony would uh, send me messages like, okay, here's a new character. And it'd be art for it. And like a whole background of the character. I'm like, oh my God, this is amazing. It's like a character sketch. I could just kind of input it right into the novel. And they sort of came as I was writing. So it was this, you know, I like the discovery of writing. When I write, it's all about that. Like, you know, Stephen King talks about it on writing, that sort of uncovering of the fossil as you write. Uh, and this was truly like that for me. Uh, and having Tony on the other end, just feeding the inspiration of the, the entire order of cosmic champions, mythology, all of the characters, uh, as far as their backstories and their designs and all that was Tony, you know, feeding that stuff to me. That's that's excellent. And I'm not going to spoil this, but the ending, life isn't always, you know, wrapped up like a nice, pretty ribbon. But the way that this particular chapter in Tommy's life ended, it was not only hopeful, it just made you smile from ear to ear. And I want to hear, Brennan, as a reader, without spoiling anything, what your reaction was. To the ending? Yeah, because for me, it just felt like, it just felt like a warm hug. You know, you felt yeah, good. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I mean, there's so much of um, the story kind of relies on a sense of nostalgia and it, it, it hits those notes throughout. But there's also a certain realism, you know, and again, we're, we're, we're treading lightly here for fear of, uh, you know, telling people exactly what the end is. But <laughs> it's not this. It, it's not a cookie cutter ending where no that's a dead end okay so basically <laughs> I, i'm gonna go with realism it's there's an authenticity to it that makes it believable and you know uh, we, we we want tommy to be this character that we inhabit that we can relate to that maybe we were and if everything is too tidy and too clean then that ability to relate flies out, out the window. Um, and that doesn't happen. Um, it's, we're able to kind of keep that sense. Um, one thing I want to throw out there, I'm so interested in, I, I don't know whose department this would be. You have some really interesting blurbs on the back <laughs> of the book. Uh, Anthony Michael Hall, uh, Corey Feldman, yeah. uh, Joey Lawrence. How did those <laughs> come about? <laughs> I'm yeah. waiting for someone to do the catchphrase. <laughs> I'm not going to impression. Say it's going to be me. That is uh, a whole other story. That's like, um, it was uh, something that I was familiar with already, thankfully. Uh, people who cameo know that you can contact celebrities um, through that, and they will, um, you know, give little um, video um, announcements or um, things of that nature for loved ones and such. But some, if you push them hard enough, will uh, <laughs> will will do other things for you. Mm. And I I had reached <laughs> several uh, celebrities and asked, "Hey, will you read this entire book and then <laughs> and review it and then?" <laughs> thinking oh nobody's ever going to contact me back yeah, they're just going to you know delete this and it'll just be one of those things that doesn't happen but to my surprise um almost every one of them responded um, and were like oh yeah sure you know send it over and now some of them have got used to me yet and probably they won't you know who knows 
but some big ones that I was really hoping, you know, would um, follow through did, um, particularly um, Corey Feldman and Anthony Michael Hall. And I actually got to speak on the phone with Anthony Michael Hall two times. Um, and we went over, you know, um, some of the story elements and, you know, the different things and discussions that were totally off topic. And I thought, you know, in what other world, you know, in what other universe would I have done this? You know, would this have happened uh, at all? So it was just another one of those things where this book um, created, you know, these experiences um, for both of us that um, we'd never had have had otherwise. Um, so, yeah, uh, they were really, they're really uh, just totally awesome people you know, in general, basically. Uh, Nicole Eggert, she was also... Um, really game for it and uh, and just uh, enjoyed it as well. So um, that was a lot of fun. Talk about those daily blow your mind moments. That was a big one the day that Tony sent me a 14 minute video that Corey Feldman shot talking about our novel. What? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's yeah. not on your bingo card. <laughs> So, Tony, I got to say, like, I have thought about Cameo to reach out to people, but I wasn't sure if that would work. And you just answered my question. Yeah. First off, that's fucking cool. Secondly, thank you for teaching me <clears throat> a new route for so many things. And like as podcasters, it's relatable to looking for blurbs. I mean, what other like you can't I mean, you can, I guess. But if you don't have something kind of to connect with someone else what excuse are you going to have to do this stuff? Cause that, that book with those blurbs is going to last a lifetime and your kids are going to see that. And that's, that's a brag moment right there. Well, And I think it's worth throwing out to, um, I, I just finished reading this summer, um, David Morrell, the guy who wrote first blood, uh, he has an on writing book called the successful novelist. And one thing he talks about doing is, uh, you know, everybody expects to turn your book over and uh, it'd be great to have a blurb from Stephen King, from James Patterson or from, you know, whoever the writer du jour is. But he talks about obtaining blurbs from uh, people kind of outside that market. Uh, the specific example he gives is he wrote a book about urban explorers. So he reached out to these people who have like tremendous youtube followings who have had like shows on bravo and whatnot uh and he gets them to blurb it because they kind of uh they they expand the audience that you could potentially expose your book to and i think this is a perfect example of it like yeah you could have you know shot for you know a coming of age author who was big in the 80s and that would have been cool but this is this is a whole other market that these names tap into and how appropriate to uh, have the actor who was in the Goonies uh, to talk about a book that captures that same spirit. Yeah, that uh, was kind of my um, thought process there was um, who would I as, you know, not necessarily the most avid reader what would catch my attention, you know, uh, um, if I were to see it, um, especially, you know, being from, you know, Generation X and um, what name uh, would I look at and say, hey, well, I, I know who that is. Uh, and if they think it's, you know, halfway decent, then uh, maybe I should give this a shot. And so that was the idea behind that is uh, if I can't 
you know, how difficult would it be to reach out to, you know, um, other authors and, uh, and, you know, obtain blurbs, but maybe not, maybe the, somebody who's picking this up may not know who that is or what that book is that they wrote. Um, but, uh, you know, when you're tapping into the zeitgeist, particularly uh, of the eighties, um, you know, these names are hard to uh, not know about. <laughs> these are, these are hard, these are hard, hard to not be familiar with. So that was kind of the idea there. And thank God for you. Cause I am terrible at marketing. <laughs> I am the worst at it. I, I just, I don't know what I'm doing when I'm trying to market a book. Well, uh, you just gotta, you just gotta team up with somebody who knows what the hell they're doing. Obviously <laughs> you cracked the code. <laughs> right. I do guys say that you have the greatest like package. And I just want to thank you on air for all this stuff behind me, because that is something that I'm going to make sure is out of my son's, uh, Ability to touch and destroy. She's at that tender age of two and a half and uh, everything's a toy. And one day I want him to check this out because this is really cool stuff. And, and once the uh, once the action figures are, are completed, uh, I'll be sure to send some your way. Uh, so that way you have the actual toys. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I don't know what to say. Just getting real excited here. <laughs> yeah. Inappropriate comment, boner. What? Um, <laughs> That's inappropriate. So, so Tony's like, why the? I mean, Anthony's like, why the fuck did I come back? <laughs> yeah. Look, this is why I'm here. <laughs> yeah. I, I'd just like to point out, Patrick, that you just said you have the greatest package. <laughs> oh shit! No, I don't. I'm yeah. Irish, so yeah. That's. I mean, that's going in the preview. So. If you want, just for you, sunshine. So let's move on to the book or anything else, please. <laughs> let's move on to the uh, soundtrack, um, yes. specifically the the main theme, because, you know, obviously so much of this cycles around uh, a Saturday morning cartoon. And as we all know, uh, those Saturday morning cartoons did not skimp on the theme songs. They go hard. Uh, so you... You had uh, Stan Bush compose the main theme for it. Um, what what did you ask for, basically? Um, so uh, that was another one of those um, uh, messages that I sent away expecting no answer, you know. Um, but I, I think I simply connected with him on Facebook, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and I just uh, said, you know, um, I'd really like to have a, uh, a theme created for this project that we're working on. Um, and I know you're probably pretty busy and, you know, have tours and whatnot, but um, if you're interested, just get in contact with me and we can work something out. And it was a matter of like a couple of days and I had an email. All I did was see his name and I was like, yes, yeah. <laughs> I know what this, I know what this is going to say. I just, I just felt it. You know, he was going to, he was going to be on board with it. And man, he was such a nice guy. I mean, he just, he, he asked, you know, a few details, you know, what, what would you like in it? And, um, but he, he pretty much within a day or two already had uh, the tune, you know, pretty well uh, in his mind. And he said, I, I know what I want to do with this. And, uh, and it, it was such a short time before he had, you know, put it together. But it sounds like 
something that took you know uh, months you know to to uh, perform and, and put together and did a fantastic job. Yeah, I mean, I legitimately love that song. I every once in a while I go on. So another thing that Tony set up was some uh, advertising on a channel called was it Dave's Archives, right? Um, I, uh, on YouTube, and um, I was actually just talking to someone else on on Instagram about this or Twitter that um, I didn't know about the ad. And I had just happened to like throw on one of Dave's archives, commercial blocks of eighties commercials. And there it is the advertisement for a novel. That's so cool. I was like, wait a minute. (laughs) And it has just a little clip of the song. And I swear every time I see it, it's just stuck in my head for the rest of the day. (laughs) It's It's, it's all the right boxes. It's got, you know, it, it kicks off with like the, the heavy synth, when the drums come in, they've got that like arena reverb on them. Um, <laughs> obviously, the vocals are just, you know, straight out of the 80s. And it, I mean, you even got like the uh, key change in the chorus that, you know, only happened for about 10 years and then people stopped doing it. <laughs> True. Yeah, you don't hear that much anymore. Anthony, how's it feel to play in someone else's playground? And now it's just a shared playground between you and Tony. Like, huh? I like we talked about it when you were on. I'm still in the creation stage, but um, I, I want to know if if you feel like this where it's intimidating for me. It was intimidating at first because I'm like, well, it's his vision. I'm going to fuck it up. And then you starting to you starting to do that. And then you're before you know it, you're like just best buddies and you're you're in it together. So I'm curious. It feels like from the first time you talked about this to me that that that's kind of your experience, too. Yeah, I'm of two minds on this. On the one side, I absolutely agree. I wouldn't say I was intimidated, but I was incredibly worried about (laughs) not fulfilling your vision, uh, Tony. I, you know, I was like, I'm going to screw this up. He's not going to like what I'm doing here. I'm going to write. 30,000 words. And he's just gonna say, you know what, let's just forget it. Uh, Which is why I set up the discord with the daily live streams and sending him the sample chapters. I was was just so nervous about that. I'm like, I think I even prefaced when we first decided to do something like I'm a horror writer. I don't know if I can do this justice. We'll give it a shot. But on the other side, that's the one side on the other side, it was a freaking blast. I didn't never, I never didn't have fun writing this. Uh, novel. I think it was the easiest novel I ever wrote in terms of just like the daily output. Um, I started it during NaNoWriMo. uh, Was this two years ago now, right? And uh, I, in November, I, I, you know, won, quote unquote, won NaNoWriMo with the 50,000 words. I took a bit of a break through the holidays and then just jumped back in. I don't remember how long it took altogether, but, and I don't remember the exact word count, but I know it was more than the final novel that we published. I want to say it was around 115 to 120,000 words that I wrote in roughly three to four months. Uh, and it just, it felt like every day was, I knew exactly what I was going to write, which doesn't always happen. I'm sure you both know that sometimes you sit down and you're just not sure where you're going next with something. Rather hit my head into the computer and get, I'll get a better <laughs> result sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I wrote 150 words today for the novel I'm working on, you know? I don't think I ever wrote only like a hundred words when I was working on Tommy. It was just, yeah, it was just a pleasure. And a lot of that had to do with the the clarity of the vision, you know, 
we knew exactly what we were doing. We knew exactly what we wanted. I don't think there was ever any question as to that, unless you could remember any, but I think we were pretty clear from the get-go. There were a couple of things that we had to, you know, <laughs> and one of the funniest for me was, um, I think I might have written about three chapters and we didn't, maybe one of the only things that we didn't clarify early on was what genre or what audience this was for specifically. And I had walked in kind of under the assumption that it was more for an adult audience, I guess, uh, people our age who were looking for a little bit of a nostalgia hit. And I think it was the first three or four chapters. I sent him, I sent you something, Tony, and <laughs> you loved it. But your one note was, ease up with the curse words, man. <laughs> I was like, oh. And, you know, that's, I think, when we, when we cleared up, you know, when we got it a little clearer that, okay, this is going to be more of a, you know, adult, young adult sort of thing. It's going to be good for all ages is what we were shooting for. Um, I never wanted to, and I, I don't think I did. I never wanted to dumb it down for a younger audience. I wanted it to feel like, you know, not, I, this is a poor example, but it's the only thing coming to mind, like a Pee Wee's Playhouse episode where it's definitely like, you know, adults can watch, can read it and enjoy it. Uh, younger adults can read it and enjoy it. And like, you know, I don't think there's any barriers there in terms of age group. I hope. No, definitely. Um, uh, I mean, throughout, I mean, there's very um, little that, you know, a parent would feel uncomfortable sharing their kids. Um, and likewise, you know, if a kid were to pick it up uh, and read it, they, they would probably feel comfortable sharing it with their parents. And that was the goal, um, was to reach as many people as possible. But ultimately, um, this was for people um, my age, you know, um, and uh, to reminisce, you know, and, and to uh, kind of get dropped back into those shoes back in the 80s. Um, and with the hope that... Uh, the younger readers would be like, wow, that was a really awesome time. You know, <laughs> that was a, a time that just is almost mythic, you know, that can't be real. And, um, and the, Anthony did a really good job of, of creating that whole world and fleshing it out with all the locations and characters and side characters and, uh, turned out really well. The scope definitely exploded on me a little bit. We didn't know, like going in, we didn't know it was going to be a multi-POV sort of experience. Uh, but pretty early on, I realized that it couldn't be just Tommy the whole time. I wanted there to be more more of a world around him. Uh, I think one of you kind of mentioned earlier about the reality aspect of it. Uh, that was important to me, that there was a grounded reality with real people, real characters, real problems uh, to kind of be the... Uh, catapult yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't have even guessed at that but you're absolutely right you know once once tommy starts his road trip you you have to check back in at what what's happening at home i think it it loses you know so so much of the setup at the beginning that where where, where you kind of um create this domestic problem like we need to know how that plays out like that's how not just Miranda, but how his parents get fleshed out and what makes us give a shit what they do at the end. Um, yeah, no, I, I think that's a 
great choice. Yeah, because if you don't do that, we're going to get lost in that that kid's fantasy world. And, you know, it, like Brennan said, it's not going to hit you in the gut because there's still pro- there's still problems going on. Right. And if you cut that layer out, it's not as powerful. All right, so moving on to your shirt, I've been wanting to ask about it. Can you tell us about it? And for those, for the audio viewer, listeners, tell us what it looks like. Mine? Yeah. It's, uh, I don't remember where I got it, but it's a, it's Skeletor as like a little, kind of a little munchkin Skeletor or something. Uh, I'm getting like Funko, Funko sort of vibes off of it almost. I mm. think it, I want to say it was in a, box at some point like one of those mystery boxes or something but it, it just felt appropriate to wear for for tonight and yeah because the villain is it, that that's definitely the basis of the villain right 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 okay i don't know what else would be but yeah that that's perfect because skeletor was kind of like who i was seeing when i was reading um i'm gonna fuck up skull uh i'm not even gonna try i want to mess Holy- up is, is, <laughs> can one of you pronounce it Skullagar. There we go. Yeah, Skulligar. Um, he was kind of funny and he was kind of at the end reminded me of like, you know, the devil trying to be like, listen, man, you're one of us. Fuck God, you know. <laughs> man, I, I don't I, I I might possibly risk a, a good impression on you, Tony, because I don't know where you stand with certain things, but uh I hear <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that uh he obviously he was, and but I liked that um, Anthony kind of took him later on in a in a more darker direction, you know, to where you you fear you fear him, you know. Uh, he's more than just a bumbling, you know, evil doer. You know, he's he's kind of he could he feels like a threat, you know, to, to everything that Tommy's going through. So that that made me very happy. It was funny when he called uh, him Scully, when Tommy called him Scully. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, yeah, that was uh, that was like through dialogue in his head early on, I think. Right. Or later on, too, maybe. Uh, yes. Later on in the arcade, I remember specifically. The um, a couple of things on that on that note. So while I was writing, I'm from, you know, I used to watch uh, Masters of the Universe and everything when I was younger, but it's been a while. And I wanted to sort of refresh my memory as I was starting this project. So I started watching the reruns of it. And um, early on, I took the inspiration from the cartoons a little too much to heart. And, you know, Tony, <laughs> Tony had to pull me back to the ground on that one. And he did so with a very uh, clear message of, hey, man, that's twice now that someone was shot in the ass with a laser beam. <laughs> let's, let's, let's tone it down. That's a little too much comic relief. Maybe like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and honestly it was that moment where it's like, maybe I should, cause I was really trying to make the characters at first, like sort of reflective of the campy vibe of the cartoons. Um, and I left a bit of that in there, but I did also try to sort of, twist it back around to get those darker elements as well that you're talking about. Um, and then the other thing I just want to mention uh, in regards to uh, Skullagara's character, just a funny little anecdote. Um, my dad read the novel. And so one of the things I, I always try to do is kind of see characters' points of views from their own eyes. You know, I, I try not to just 100% vilify anyone. 
Uh, I want there to be balance to character. Uh, so we get different perspectives and whatnot. And apparently I did that pretty well with Skulligar because at one point my dad was like, oh, so he's like a good guy trying to help Tommy out, right? Because <laughs> of that one conversation near the end, totally got my dad. It's like, yeah, he's trying to help him. <laughs> uh, you, you pulled the wool over his eyes. <laughs> That's hilarious. Brennan, go ahead, buddy. Um, I'm curious uh, as, as to now that the project is complete, uh, do you view this as standalone or something that you guys would jump back into maybe another novel or maybe some other sort of media tie-in down the line? Well, we talked about it um, and you know, there are ideas um, there for going back and revisiting um, Tommy's world. Um, I suppose um, it depends a lot on different things, you know, um, the success of the book um, a little bit, but also probably, you know, if just down the line, we were like, let's do that again. Let's get back there again. I'd probably be all for it. So. <laughs> I am, again, sort of of two, I'm always of two minds of everything. I can never make my mind up about things. I, I would absolutely love to do another one. Um, one thing, there's something I worry about going back to that universe and I don't know that I ever even talked about this with Tony necessarily because uh, Tony did send me a little bit of an idea. I believe it was like the how how the next novel would possibly open were we to uh, to do that, and even more than that, actually, yeah, you had a little bit of a, a plot line going on where what might happen. Um, I don't think I'm spoiling anything necessarily to. If I spoil, if you guys think it's a spoiler territory, cut it right the hell out of this podcast, man. But you, uh, I, wouldn't be, I totally changed that. <laughs> I totally all that. You can throw that out the window now. What's that? The the whole plot line that okay. I said. Yeah. No, no. Um, I was well, the first. Okay, so the first novel. I don't think it's that much of a secret. But people have talked about it in the reviews and whatnot. That there's an ambiguity, and that was something that Tony, I, Tony, and I talked about in great detail going into this novel. Is how we were going to handle the fantasy elements, and we decided wholeheartedly it, like this should be ambiguous um, in terms of what's real and what's not real. And I like to think that we planted enough seeds that if anyone wanted to say 100% that was real they could and they could provide evidence for that and if someone wanted to say no man that was 100% in his head they could present evidence for that I, you know i was hoping that there would be like clearly two sides to that that you can argue either one and either one could be correct or incorrect um and i i'm hesitant to say whether or not there was ever an intention one way or the other um, so that's my one worry is that going into a sequel, we might have to decide mm -hmm. whether or not it was ambiguous or not. Um, you know how you can, all... you know how you can avoid all that and keep it ambiguous with a sequel. How's that? Well, if there's more than one dimension. You talked about that. What if one day Tommy just woke up in their universe? Mm. <laughs> well. There, there's that, uh, like he said, yeah, we were like very careful, and particularly Anthony with uh, you know, making sure there wasn't too much one way or the other. Um, 
And um, yeah, I kind of agree that um, if you if you ever went back there, you'd probably have to choose. I know what I would choose. I don't know if that would be what he would want to choose, though. <laughs> and I'm so. not, and I'm totally not against that making that choice. I'm just saying that that that's the in my mind that's the that would be the big hurdle to a sequel. Um, yeah. It's absolutely a scalable hurdle, though. I think. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the longest answer to a simple question ever, wasn't it? I like I think, it though. I, I, you said, you know, I hesitate to come down on one side or the other, and I'm kind of glad because I don't want to hear the author's opinion on on whether it was real or not because I kind of have my opinion, and I don't want yours to. I, I don't want to know yours just in case it differs from mine. If that makes sense. No, that absolutely makes sense, and I. I approach most of what I write in the way that like I used to be an art student, you know, in high school, college. And that was one of those things that you'd hear a lot from, you hear it more from visual artists than you do from writers. Writers want to tell you exactly what they were intending and exactly what they think about it. Uh, Visual artists often don't. They'd rather say like, well, what do you get from this? And whatever you get from this is correct. Um, I try to approach most of my writing in that way where I'm not in a, in a huge hurry to explain anything. Um, I want people to sort of get what they get out of it. If it's not what I intended, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, I forget the name of that particular type of uh, analysis, but there's a name for that um, in, the, in the literary uh, criticism. But, <laughs> uh, you know, I, yeah, I don't, I don't necessarily want to impose my, my vision. You know, it exists now for other people. My what I think doesn't matter very much, but I do like talking about Easter eggs. <laughs> I'm, I'm more than happy to point out Easter eggs that, that are in there at any point. Brendan, you, you and I, when we were talking about this book specifically talked about references to his family, real life names being brought into this and you haven't covered that yet. So why don't you cover that? Oh, I don't have a question so much there. I just, uh, Tony, I thought it was very interesting once we got to the um, acknowledgement section at the end, to find out how many of the characters sprinkled throughout were named after uh, family members. Um, if you want to talk about that at all. Um, basically just, uh, um, it felt like uh, if I, if this was ever going to be, if this is going to be the only um, you know, piece of literature that ever came out that I was associated with. I wanted there to be like, um, you know, something referencing people that mean the most to me. Um, and of course, you know, their characters are totally uh, different than um, than the people that their the names are associated with. But um, just the idea that, you know, there are characters in there and, and the, their names, you know, are represented by these characters. Um, it was just a fun idea, but also very meaningful to me. My name could be changed. I didn't want my name <laughs> in there particularly, but um, the other yeah, people that um, meant something to me, and, and maybe even Anthony put put some names in there that were uh, meaningful to him. I didn't. I never actually asked him that. I don't think. I don't think I did. Um, okay. I'm trying to. I'm trying to remember. Sometimes I do that kind of stuff, like old teacher names. I'm actually in the novel I'm writing right now. I used uh, a couple of my old teachers' names because there's a lot of high school stuff in it. But uh, yeah, and this one, I don't believe I did. That was one of Tony's requests early on was to get those names in there. Um, and I know you've, you know, Tony, that you've uh, made this point in 
another podcast, and it's, it bears repeating that though the plot is based on an idea of yours and something that sort of happened, you know, with the character creation contest and, and it was inspired by that, the character is not Tony. And it's sort of there's similarities other than like the setting and then the house and the dead ends and things like that. It's the similarities end there in terms of the character. Like I, you know, I just wrote, I created the characters as I was writing. I didn't necessarily, you know, I wasn't trying to create a facsimile of Tony as a child or anything like that. Right. But it'd be a pretty boring novel. <laughs> some cool stuff though, like the dead ends uh, in, in that particular neighborhood and the roller rink. Those are real fixtures mm. from his childhood. Oh, nice. So what else, if anything, do you guys want to tell us about this book uh, as we start to wrap things up? I don't want to, I don't want to miss any opportunity from either one of you. Uh, if you have anything that you want to discuss about it. I'll, I'll point out something I think is kind of fun. Uh, and it, again, kind of like an Easter egg sort of thing that people who are reading may enjoy uh, the, pr- the prologue to the novel is based on the mini comic that Tony wrote. Ooh. So Tony wrote and created the mini comic before I wrote the prologue. And then at the end of writing, I decided to tack on a prologue and I was like, Oh man, that would be really cool to kind of take the storyline from the comic and get that in there somehow. Yeah. So that's where that came from. That's really neat. Yeah. Um, a couple of things um, I, I just think are interesting. Um, and, and if, if they somehow spoil something, we can cut this out. Um, at one point, we were talking about you know whether or not um, Fierce Phantos was more than just an android. <laughs> he could have been, you know, at, at some point we put in there, or Anthony put in there, um, that he reveals that he's actually a young man also uh, that's hiding behind this facade of an android. And it was pretty powerful, um, and but we talked, you know, a lot about that, and um, and I had to read it several times just to, uh, I guess, um, see how I felt about it after um, you know fitting it into the story, and we ultimately took it out. But it's just an interesting, um, you know, pretty huge thing, you know, to reveal that you know he's actually a young man also. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it was one of those transformative scenes that really would have changed a lot, kind of. Uh, yeah. But cutting room floor, deleted scene stuff. <laughs> and then also, um, there I had at one point, uh, I was trying to think, what would what would be a like a logical, reasonable explanation um, that. Tommy could be given that what he's experiencing is real. Uh, you know, there's perfectly logical explanation for why it's not. Um, but I wanted the other side to be represented pretty well also. And I had this long, lengthy, I was like doing all kinds of research. Here's, here's, you know, uh, and I think I might have sent you some of that stuff about alternate realities and string theory. <laughs> We're going pretty deep into this. And uh, ultimately though, he, um, tidied it up quite a bit by just having Maddie kind of um, delve into one of the issues of a comic book and how, you know, 
um, the comic book company introduced, you know, the idea of multiple realities or, or alternate universes. And it's like, yeah, that's way better. <laughs> well, it felt appropriate with the, having the comic book stuff in there as it was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, I won't, I don't think we said what the, the utterance is in particular or what, you know, what it could mean, but that moment when Maddie kind of explains all of that and they say something, did we say what it was? At that moment, I don't. I don't recall. So I'm gonna say no. Okay. Yeah, I, I won't say it then, just to avoid anything that people wouldn't want spoiled. But in that moment, I thought it was a, like a fun. You could take it two ways. You could take it as like a fun little, you know, just an aside sort of thing. But it, it does open up that idea, as Brennan mentioned earlier, of the multiverse, and in a sense, suggests that they're not on the same earth as us. Um, which gave me a loophole that if I messed up any of the, uh, any of the retro <laughs> items, if there are, if there are any anachronisms in the novel, Hey, it doesn't matter. It's not our earth. It's fine. Brilliant. Matt, <laughs> I love it. Uh, requests to change some things <laughs> because they came too late, uh, particularly, uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. <laughs> I don't Is that- is that in the, the uh, hardcover or not? No, we took those out. Okay, okay. Appropriate thing, age appropriate things there, the decade appropriate. Yeah. It was, it was cool that you guys re- referenced him with, um, was it Maddie, the comic book owner? Yes. Uh, it was really neat how you guys were talking about the first issue and how it was, uh, the comic was the source for the cartoon. Um, I just like shit like that. So for me personally, that's why I liked it a whole lot. But let's jump to uh, where can people follow the two of you? Whoever wants to go first. Go ahead. Um, you can find me on my webpage. So anthonyjrapino.com, easy enough. Uh, most of the links you can find through there. Um, and otherwise, you can usually find me under the name, if not Anthony J. Rapino, then under the name uh, Candy Corn Apocalypse, which one or the other will be my usernames on like things like Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. I'm, I'm all over the place with that stuff. Sorry. Is that your ringtone? That was a, a text message. The Zelda so, whistle. I was just, yeah. I just <laughs> put... I, very nice. Speaking of uh, throwbacks, that's awesome. Uh, Tony, where can people follow you? Um, probably um, the best place would just be um, my website, um, retrodays.org, retro-days.org. I go by Vaporman87 there. Um, and then, you know, I can be reached through the official website of the, of the uh, novel also. Excellent. Um, Tony, do you have any final thoughts? No, I think we pretty well covered everything. Um, I, I, I will say uh, one thing that I um, we were talking about uh, the discussion between Maddie and Tommy about what he's going through. And I really love this is what uh, Anthony does really well is sneak little um, funny tidbits um, that make you, you know, uh, just kind of t- ease the tension a little bit and you know, make you giggle a little and they're discussing um the whole um idea of um are these 
characters intruding in your reality. You know, he's talking about alternate, the alternate universe. He says, well, maybe in an alternate universe, uh, Masculon is named He-Man. You know? <laughs> that was just such a perfect thing for me to read. You know, it was just like, that's the perfect way to sneak that in right there. <laughs> yep. Yeah, yeah. He, he did a good job with that. Uh, Anthony, do you have any final thoughts? I had a great time as usual. Uh, uh, I appreciate you uh, both having me on. I wish I had better bourbon with me. <laughs> drinking, uh, drinking bottom shelf tonight, but uh, otherwise, yeah, it's a great time. I had fun too. My final thoughts are really appreciate the opportunity to read the book. Very, very grateful for the amazing package you sent. Um, and Brennan, what are your final thoughts, sir? I'm also uh, thankful for your time. I, I loved this story and I hope a lot of people will check it out. I'm also very impressed that we managed to get through an hour without too many Tony versus Anthony mix-ups. <laughs> I thought that went very well. Yes, it did. Yeah, agreed. Uh, everyone, next episode is episode 158 with Gwendolyn Keist. Uh, stay tuned for that. And listeners, viewers, the many choices in podcasts. Thank you for picking up. Oh,